Matthew 28, and in the Bibles we provide, it's page 835. So in the Bibles we have page 835, Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20 today. I should have mentioned during corporate prayers, I uh, sharing with you guys about Sudakar in India, that we have prayer cards that we've made up that are on our mission resource table back here. So go grab one of these or grab a couple, um, hang it up on your refrigerator to remind you to pray for them. But you can find these on our missions table in the back corner. Many of you have probably noticed that our lead pastor, Tanner Turley, is not here today. And so I have the joy of sharing with you that Last night, Marsha gave birth to Jordan Hope Turley, weighing seven pounds and eight ounces and 20 inches long. And so uh, as far as uh, I talked to him this morning, everything went well. They had a, a great time. Well, it was a, a fruitful time um, last night, and, and Marsha's doing well, and Jordan is doing well, and so... Uh, um, they, uh, they'll probably be in the hospital a few days, and, and then uh, we'll be getting adjusted to life with three girls. Um, so we can pray for Tanner um, this upcoming, upcoming week. Um, I meant to also share this. Uh, you might, may have noticed we've got some flowers at our welcome table. We walked in. Um, we were going to give those out at, at the beginning of the service to, to our moms, um, but have decided to do it at the end so they don't get trampled all over and and are falling apart by the time you leave. So if you're a mom, um, we would love for you on the way out. You'll see our, our greeters will be handing these out. But it's just a, a small token for us to honor you um, and, and, um, and give thanks to God for all of your labors that you do. I'm going to give a short tribute to my mom. As we think of sent, the mission of Jesus in the church, my mom has played a pivotal role in who I am today. I mean, there's no denying, right? Moms play a very important role in the life of their children. Let me share with you guys, probably some of you have met my mom, but I'll share with you a little bit about my mom's role in my life. You see, it was on a mission trip when I was seven years old that my mom shared the gospel with me, and I responded with repentance and faith on a mission trip. It was my mom that I saw with my dad taking mission trips overseas and taking the gospel to people who had not heard. I saw my mom and how she interacted with two of my older siblings. I've got a twin sister, and I also have an older sister who's 12 years older than me, and an older brother who's eight years older than me. So they were kind of distant, and um, I learned from all of their mistakes in life. Um, just kidding, I love my brother and sister. Um, but I see my sister spend, my older sister spent a summer in college on mission. I see my brother spend two years in Slovakia sharing the gospel. And I'm watching my mom because they're kind of, they're out of the house. I'm in the house. And I'm watching, how does my mom respond when my older siblings are obeying the Great Commission? I went on my first mission trip with my mom. We went to Haiti together. In high school. I mean, how sweet it is for me to go on a mission trip with my mom. And, and we're, we're serving the people there and sharing Jesus together with my mom. It was in college that I spent almost all of my summers overseas. Um, and, and my mom joyfully blessed that. I spent a summer in Ukraine. I spent a summer in China. I spent a summer in Uzbekistan. And my mom joyfully and faithfully blessed that. And it wasn't because she was trying to get rid of me. I know what you're thinking. My mom was one of my biggest supporters. And so when I went and shared the news with her about four years ago, hey, Mom, Lee and I have been praying through this, and, and we really feel God's call to move to Boston and to die there. Many of you guys have heard our story. We've moved here. We were part of the core team with the Turleys, Abby's with us, the Millers, to plant Redemption Hill Church. And, and we didn't come, hey, we're going to be here a few years or five years. We came and said, we're going to come and, and we're going to be buried in Medford, Massachusetts unless something happens. 
We've come to give our lives for the sake of the gospel here. And I'm sitting down with my mom, and I'm sharing this. And, and if you're mom, you know what my mom was thinking. She could care less about me. She's thinking about the grandkids, right? So not only do we tell her we're moving to Boston, we also tell her, hey, and by the way, we're pregnant, or Lee's pregnant, with our third. How does my mom respond? I've got a twin sister now who has been in India for the past three years. She's single, not married. And, and if, just to give you a little picture, my family, we are a tight family. We love each other. By God's grace, all 19 of us, including grandkids, are going to be together in July to spend some time. 20 now with our adopted girl Zoe, though she won't be there with us. We, we love each other. My mom, she, we, we love each other, but my mom... From the get-go, they have cast a vision that they were to have children and shoot us out as arrows all over the earth for the sake of the mission of God. So my mom's not here today. I know this week she's a faithful mom. She listens to my sermons when they're posted online. So she's going to hear this this week and probably give me a phone call. But mom, I, I'm thankful for you. I love you. And I want to ask everyone a question today. What would lead a mom to so faithfully bless, joyfully encourage her children being scattered all over the earth. It's her conviction that the task left for disciples of Christ is to see the gospel go to all nations. And that's where we're going to turn today in Matthew 28. And so your mom here today, I want you to hear this. Your role is pivotal in your children's life as it pertains to the Great Commission. Dad's, yours as well. But on, on this special Mother's Day, I want to specifically draw attention to the role of mothers. What have we learned so far in this mission series? We looked a couple weeks ago, we started walking through the drama of Scripture and looking at how, how the role of mission plays in God's big mission. And we learned this. In creation, Genesis 1 and 2, did missions exist? No. In Genesis 1 and 2, there was no mission. What was there? There was worship. We were created for worship. Worship is ultimate, not mission. Missions exist because of, Genesis, because of Act 2, the fall. And so if we were to think of Scripture as a drama, and you're going to a theater and you're watching this play unfold before you, you see in Genesis 1 and, and this creation and God creating us to worship Him, you go to Act 2 of the play, and there's the fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and because of sin, we have distorted worship. And now missions exist. So we get this Genesis 3.15 which is called the Proto-Evangelium, the, the first gospel where God says that I'm going to send an offspring from the woman who is going to crush the offspring of the serpent, to crush the serpent. And so what we have in Act 3, which is the rest of the Old Testament on, is God initiating His plan of redemption. He's going to redeem us, and He's going to do it through an offspring. And so as we, as we look at Scripture through Act 3, we see that God chooses a people. He chooses Israel. But what did we learn last week in Isaiah 49? Why did God choose Israel? They were to be a light for the nations. You see, all along, God's plan has been for the nations, for the world. In Genesis 1, it was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The entire earth, that is his plan. Global worship, sin thwarts that. And so now he has chosen a people, Israel, so that the nations may once again worship. And so you may remember, we looked at Genesis 12 and the blessing made to Abraham. And God says, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna bless those who bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When we come to Act 4, Jesus, born under the law, He is a Jew. He came as the promised one of Israel, this promised one, and He is the one who has accomplished 
redemption, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, and through his glorious resurrection. Redemption has been accomplished in Jesus. And when we come to Matthew 28, we're standing on the brink of Act 5. The curtain is about to end on the life of Christ. And we're about to enter into Act 5, the church, which is what the rest of the New Testament is about. We see the history of the church. You go to Acts, and it's describing how the gospel starts in Jerusalem and begins to spread to the ends of the earth. And then we have these letters. You have many from Paul that are writing to these churches that have been planted about what life is to be like for the church until the return of Christ. So the very end of Jesus' life in Matthew, we come to Matthew 28, and this sets the stage by which to understand these few verses by which I'm going to read here in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. The Word of God says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The point that I want us to get today is this. The mission of the church is to multiply disciples who impact the nations for the glory of God. The purpose of the church is to multiply disciples who in, impact the nations for the glory of God. That is the main point of this text. And if this is going to happen, we may say this way, if Redemption Hill Church is going to be a church who multiplies disciples, who impact the nations for the glory of God, well then we must embrace three key truths in this passage. And the first one we find here in verse 18. The first one is this. We must submit to the authority of Christ. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. N notice the repetition of the word all. All authority. And we don't see the word all, but we see heaven and earth. What's he describing there? Totality, right? All authority, heaven on earth. You see all nations. You see, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then you see, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does it mean when Jesus says, I tell you, all authority has been given to me. It's not that Jesus' authority before now is, has been less authoritative. The difference is the sphere by which his authority exists. And so he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Let me show this with you. Acts chapter 1. Look at this. In Acts chapter, not Acts chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, Paul is praying that they would know the power. And he says this, the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. By virtue of the resurrection of Christ, he has been raised, he is seated, and everything is under his foot. All authority has been given to Christ. So I love this. In, in a book we've got on a resource table, what is the mission of the church? Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert say this, God does not send out his church to conquer. He sends us out in the name of the one who has already conquered. We go only because he reigns. 
And so as we talk about the Great Commission today and the mission of God over the earth, it must start with the authority of Christ. He's not sending us out as something that we've got to go and conquer. He is conquered. He is reigning right now in the heavenly places, and he is now commanding us to go underneath his authority. Now you tell me, does that give you confidence in the commission of Christ? Yes. Since the Great Commission proceeds from the authority of Christ, we can engage in this mission with confidence of God's sovereignty over all the earth. There's an allusion in Matthew 28 to a previous passage in Daniel. I want to read this for you. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. This is what Daniel writes. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given, listen, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Let me tell you this. The mission of God will happen. One day, all peoples, languages, tongues, and tribes will worship before the Father in the consummation for all of eternity. The question is whether you're going to be a part of that or not. Look, the mission of God is unstoppable because of the authority of Christ. One day, all nations will worship Him. And it is grace that God has invited us to be a part of this mission and seeing that happen. Now let me pose another question. Who or what is the authority in your life? We don't like, we don't like that, right? Why don't we like authority? Because we love to be the authority, right? I love myself and I have a wonderful plan for my life. Hey, hey God, don't come messing up my plan. Hey, let me remind you, God created you. You have no right for your plan. It is his plan. The creator determines what his creation does. To sit here and say, no, this is my plan. God, don't mess it up. Is to presume that you have the right to determine. You don't. So I'd say this, one of the main hindrances to the fulfillment of the Great Commission today is the lack of submission by believers to the absolute authority of Christ. What would Redemption Hill Church look like if we were characterized by a people completely submitted to the authority of Christ? What would this look like? What would it look like? I mean, Jesus is all authority and we're gonna come underneath his authority. I'll give you an example. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus has an interaction with the centurion, the faith of the centurion. I want you to look at this. The centurion says this, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, later on in that passage, he's sharing this to say, Hey, Jesus, all you've got to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, go. He does. He says the word in his servant's hill. But what I want you to get is he gets authority. What is authority? He says, when I say go, what do people do? Go. When I say come, what do they do? They come. When I say do this, what do they do? They do it. You see, one of the primary roles that a parent plays, moms play, in a child's life early on, is teaching them how to live underneath authority. Look, this is what your kids have to get. Because your kids are born and they think that they're the king of the universe. And that everything ought to revolve around them. I want this. Me. This is mine. That is my toy. No, I'm not going to share that. No, I don't want to go to bed now. I'm not going to brush my teeth. Moms, you guys following that? What? Bedtime, 8 o'clock? Look, your kids have to learn that they're not boss and they're not king. And so one of, we, we stole a phrase, I don't know where we got it from, 
But our desire is to teach our kids to obey with this simple phrase, three-part phrase. I want them to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Now, I know ultimately, until Jesus Christ saves them and changes their heart, that that is not going to be a reality. But I'm going to hold that up before them. Why? Because one day, I want them to obey Jesus that way. I want them to hear the Word of God and obey right away. I want them to hear the Word of God and obey all the way. And I want them to hear the Word of God and obey with a happy heart that finds their greatest joy and delight and obedience. So when you hear Jesus say this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Who is the authority in your life? Why is the church not responding with greater obedience to the last words of Christ before He's about to go and reign at the right hand of the Father? This is all I have left for you. When I return, mission will exist no more. This is the primary task. Until I return, do this. Make disciples to the ends of the earth. And we sit here and just come up with all the excuses we could come up with for not obeying the Great Commission. Why? Why don't we obey it? Well, I would say, first of all, I think someone else has taken the rightful place that Jesus, Jesus should have in our life. So that's why I ask the question, who's the authority in your life? Who, whose words do you sit on the edge of your seat eager to obey? And when my mom says this, that's the authority. When my boyfriend or girlfriend... Yes, that's the authority. And when the Red Sox, yes. You get my point? Who's the authority in your life? Discipleship requires absolute submission. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about discipleship and he says a few things like this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Yes, I said that on Mother's Day. If you don't hate mom, you cannot be my disciple. Obviously, we know that Jesus is not telling us to hate our moms. What is he talking about? He's saying your love for me should be so great that your love for your mom should look like hate in comparison. So when Lee and I are making the decision, hey, we're going to move to Boston, and that means, hey, when I lived 10 to 15 minutes from my mom and had a babysitter whenever I needed it, and she loves the grandkids, it's, it's, and my mom gets this. I'm saying, mom, I love you, but the mission of God compels me to take my life and go to Boston. And Lee and I have talked about this. If, 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 if we ever come to the point where we feel like we would better be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission somewhere else, well, then we'll leave Boston and we'll go to India or China or wherever that is. We feel like right now God has us here because this is the best place he has for us to see the Great Commission fulfilled. But my mom gets it. I love Jesus more than I love my mom. And my mom, by the grace of God, wants me to love Jesus more than her. And so let me just speak to you moms. Like I know the temptation is for your children to become your idol in life. You, you sacrifice everything for your child. But what your child needs from you is to know that you love Jesus more than you love them. And moms get this too. They also need you to know that you love your husband more than you love them. And so can you pray over your kids? God, I love my kids but I want them to love you more than they love me. And if that means you sending them to the ends of the earth, that's a mom after the heart of God who's gonna pray that over their kids. Jesus also says things like this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What about this? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. When we're here in the Great Commission, go and make disciples, implicit in that is to look at yourself and say, am I a disciple? 
And the plea to be a disciple is to renounce everything. When Jesus called the initial disciples, he says, leave and come follow me. So why are we not submitting to the authority of Christ? It's because ultimately Jesus is not supreme in our affections. Other things are. And maybe today there needs to be great repentance in our church over things that have taken the place that Christ should have in your life. But there may be a second objection. The reason you're not submitting to the authority is you don't think he's speaking to you. Now let's say after church today, we go to Medford Square. You're walking back to your car. You've parked across Medford Square behind Papa Gino's and you're about to go through the intersection there and you hear somebody say, stop! The first thing you do is you look up and you're asking this question. Does that person have the authority to tell me to stop? Now you look up and you see it's a policeman, full decked out gear. He's not a fake. He looks like he's the real deal. He's packing and all that good stuff. He has the authority to tell me to stop, correct? Why would he tell me to stop? Go. Hopefully it's motivated by maybe there's a car coming or he, you know, whatever. But there's a second question. I see he has authority. The second question is, is is he talking to me? You may hear stop and he's talking to somebody across the road. And so his authority doesn't lay claim on my life if he's not speaking to me. Correct? Just because a person in authority speaks, their authority doesn't lay claim unless they're speaking to you. So let me pose this question. Is Jesus speaking to you in the Great Commission? In one sense... He's not, right? Is anybody standing on the mountain of Galilee when Jesus said these words? Did did anybody? If you raise your hand, I'm probably going to pass out. None of us are standing on the mountain in Galilee when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go. So in a very real sense, Jesus did not say these words directly to me, but in another very real sense, he is speaking to me. How do I know that? Well, what is the command? Go make disciples of all nations. Do you think Jesus thought these 11 disciples were going to make disciples of all the nations? No. He's not assuming that this this command is just for these 11 people, that they're to do it all, that they go make disciples of all the nations. What about this? What are these disciples to do? Go therefore, make disciples, baptize, and do what? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Let me ask you this. Does that include this command? So you've got the disciples are going, hey, this is everything Jesus commanded us. Hey, hey, the last thing he said, he said, go and make disciples of the nations. Would that not be something that these disciples were teaching to their disciples? And so in one sense, we are a disciple of disciples, and this command comes to us because of that. But there's a final reason we know that Jesus is speaking to us. How does this commission end? Behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Hey, if Jesus thought that this command would have ended with the 11 disciples, why does he need to tell them that? He doesn't just say, I'll be with you until you die. He says, I am going to be with you to the end of the age, till my return, until the consummation of the time. And so Jesus, in this command, is already looking past the initial 11 disciples to everyone who would follow after them. So what are the implications of that? You see, we hear the authority of Christ and the command of Christ, and we think it's a commission to a great few, a special few. I'll just say this. This this passage is not for an elect few. This passage is for all disciples. If you just heard me speak, this is for you. If Redemption Hill Church is going to shake the nations for the glory of God, we must be a people characterized by complete submission to King Jesus and His rightful authority over our lives. But there's a second truth that we're going to have to get. And if we're going to be a church that multiplies disciples and impacts the nations for the glory of God, we must first submit to the authority of Christ. Second, in view of that, we must now obey the command 
of Christ. Let's look at this command. It's verses 19 through the first part of verse 20. The specific command is this. Go therefore and make disciples. I know to give you a little background here, the main imperative, the main command here is make disciples. If you were to look at the Greek structure here, you've got a main verb. The main verb is make disciples with three participles. Going, baptizing, and teaching. We're going to talk about those three participles in a second. But the main thrust of the Great Commission is make disciples. And you need to get this. It is a command. It is not just a suggestion. Hey, this might be one thing that you think about adding to your life. This is a command. And I'm going to argue later that this is the command. This is what we ought to be about as a church. Making disciples. Paul got this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Do you get this? What you have heard from me. You've got a first generation, Paul. You've got a second generation, generation Timothy, and who he's talking to there. So you've got Paul to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, And what you've heard from me, entrust a faithful man. Third generation, who will entrust to who? Others, fourth generation. You've got fourth generation discipleship here by Paul. This is what he's getting about. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It is the disciple cycle. So the main emphasis is make disciples with this qualification of all nations. Matthew begins his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he traces the genealogy from Abraham to David and from David to Jesus. Why? Why does Matthew mention Abraham? Very, very beginning of his gospel. Here's what he's doing. Matthew's gospel is pictured as the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. So when God tells Abraham, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, Jesus is stepping on the scene in Act 4 and saying, that is fulfilled in me. In me, now all families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so Matthew begins with Abraham, and it ends with this allusion to all the families are now hearing and responding to the gospel Kostenberger and O'Brien in a book on a biblical theology of mission say this, the most surprising part of the Great Commission is not that they're to make disciples of individuals, but they're to make disciples of all the nations. Jesus doesn't just say, okay, man, I'm going to go to heaven and I want you to just make disciples of, of people who are around you. He tells them to make disciples of the nations. Let me share something else with you. In Matthew 24, Matthew 24, previously, they had asked Jesus, hey, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age, in the end of the age? And this is how Jesus responds. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let me ask you this. When's Jesus going to return? When the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to the world, then Jesus will return. And he will not return until that happens. Look, guys, we're in Act 5. Act 5, the mission of the church is to spread the news of redemption. Hey, you need to get this. We are not making redemption happen. I'm not going and bringing about redemption. Redemption has been accomplished. I'm just proclaiming Christ died to bring us to God. It's been done. He's already died, and he's risen from the dead. Hey, if you're here today, you're kind of exploring this whole Jesus thing, I mean, I want you to, to hear this. This is the message that we're taking to the, to the nations. It's real simple. It's, you're a sinner, just like Adam and Eve. And because of that, your worship is distorted. You crave things are not honoring and are, and are not what you were created for. Your desires are messed up. And because of that, you deserve God's rightful punishment and judgment for all of eternity. The good news is that from the very beginning, 
of this rebellion. God has been working redemption to restore you to Himself. You were created for relationship with God, to know God, to enjoy God, to delight in God. You, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and now God, through Christ, has been working His plan to restore you to Himself. And that is why Jesus came. Look, Jesus didn't die just so that you could be forgiven. Jesus didn't die so that you could go walk on streets of gold and, and reconnect with all of your lost loved ones. Jesus died to bring you to God. Look, if God is not in heaven, it doesn't matter how many lost relatives are there and how shiny the streets of gold are. If God is not there, it's not heaven. You were made for God. And so Jesus is the means that takes away my sin. Why, am I, why do I want to be forgiven? I want to be forgiven because sin is what keeps me from God. This is the message. And, and the message ends with this. Jesus has accomplished this. The only thing you can do, you can't add anything to it. You can't add any work. All you can do is respond and believe. This is what Act 5, the church, is about. Act 6, new creation. None of us know when Jesus is going to return. You go read Revelation 21 and 22, and you see Jesus is coming back one day, and there's going to be a new creation. There's going to be no more pain, no more brokenness. You're here today, and you're burdened. You've got all kind of labors and, 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 and burdens and frustrations and sin, and broken relationships, and sickness, none of that. There will be, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be complete restoration and redemption and consummation. We long for that. But none of us know the period of time between Act 5 and Act 6. But we do know this. This is the task. Go make disciples of all the nations. Let me clarify one other thing for us. From the Great Commission here, what is our mission to be about? I mean, Caleb and Tiffany are about to head back overseas to Southeast Asia. We want to take a trip to Toronto coming up in August. We want to go to India in November. I mean, what, is our, what are we after in mission? We're not just after social justice. I just want to talk for a few minutes here. I am all for justice and social justice. We worship a God of justice. In the new creation, every wrong will be made right. God will make sure that happens. He is a just God. We ought, in view of that, we ought to display the pursuit of justice here in its limited form, but it will never be complete and total until the return of Christ. Hey, look, in a few months, my wife and I are going to travel to adopt a girl in China. Why? Because of injustice compels us. We want this girl to have a forever home. That is a picture of one day, man, because of the gospel, man, there will be restored relationship with God as a true father. So I'm about social justice. But if people do not hear the message of the gospel, it does not matter how many poor people we feed and how many wells we dig and provide water. If they do not hear about Jesus, they will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. So look, our mission isn't, we're going to go and do a bunch of good things overseas. Our mission is this, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teach them to obey. We want them. What did, what did Matthew 24, 14? This gospel will be pro proclaimed to all the nations and then the end will come. You guys get me? And so if we're to look at a spectrum, some swing all the way over here and say, it's completely social justice. And then some swing on over here and say, no, it's just completely proclamation. And I wanna, I'm going to lean to say, man, it's got to be primarily proclamation because people cannot place faith in Christ unless they hear. But, but it ought to be paired with a demonstration of how's the gospel changed your life. So we ought to be a people pursuing social justice. I'll give you another example. My sister in India, one of the things she's doing is she is going and, and she is teaching women about cleanliness. 
So what she's done is she's got a partner church. It's, the, it's my mom who's, I love my mom. My mom is actually taking the lead on this. And so in North Carolina and South Carolina, they're making these menstrual cloths for women. And they're mailing these to India. And my sister is going into these villages, women that have no clue, and, and she's teaching them what cleanliness and providing these for them. But that's not all she's doing. That is the inroads for her to display the gospel and it's given her an incredible opportunity to tell her, here's why I'm doing this. Jesus Christ has changed my life and one day he's coming back and he's gonna make all things right. Believe in him. I better pick up my pace. So how do these participles relate? First of all, going. Go therefore. Because the main verb is an imperative and a command, this first one here, I can't go into a ton of depth, but it, it has an imperatival force. So he's not just saying, as you go about your life, make disciples. Look, the nations will not hear unless we are sent, unless we go. And so implied here is a command, go and take the gospel to them. Look, if we're going to finish this task, we must go. Second, baptizing here. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them. Implicit in baptism is that there is repentance and faith. And so if we're to go just to the book of Acts, the early church, what do we see here? We see Peter proclaiming this message. He says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Look, just a short little nugget here. The New Testament can scarcely conceive of a disciple who's not baptized. I'm just going to be honest with you. So you're here today and you're exploring this whole Jesus thing. One of the very first steps after you say, I believe in Jesus, you respond, you repent, you turn from your sin. It's come and get baptized. And, and it's not just a suggestion. This is a command. Go, make disciples, be baptized. Baptize them in the name of the Father. And we have this Trinitarian formula here. So, so maybe you're here today. You're like, man, man, maybe the first step for you as a disciple is to come and say, you know what, I need to be baptized. What is baptism? It is the going public of what's going on, on the inside. You see, you can repent of your sins and place faith in Jesus, but how does the world know that? Man, you come and you go public. Baptism is this picture of you telling the world, I am following Jesus. I've renounced everything and I'm following him. You can let us know in your connect card. Turn it to the back and respond and check the box and say, man, I'm interested in baptism. But the third one, I want to spend a little bit of time here. It says teaching. Go therefore baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We cannot divorce evangelism from discipleship. I mean, you need to get this. Our desire is not just converts. We're not just trying to see how many people can pray, place an initial faith in Jesus. That's not what he says here. He says, you, you make disciples and you teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You know what's also implicit here? If you're going to go make disciples and you're going to teach somebody to obey, what do you got to do? How effective do you think your mission is going to be if you're telling somebody to obey something that you're not looking your face in the mirror and saying, am I obeying and so to make disciples is to be a disciple. To go and teach is also to teach yourself. It's to come underneath the authority of Christ and the word of Christ and to hear the word of God and to obey it. But let me share this. For the most part, many of us have turned holiness into something we shouldn't do. So we talk about, well, I'm not sleeping around anymore or I'm not cursing anymore or I'm not getting drunk anymore and I'm not, 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 not. What would happen if we define holiness by obedience to what we should be doing? Like what if Redemption Hill said, Here, we're going to define holiness in addition to what we shouldn't be doing to our obedience to the Great Commission. That is a matter of obedience. It is a matter of holiness. You see, Christ isn't just concerned with you putting off sin. He's also concerned with you putting on and obeying things that you should be doing. So what is a disciple? We'll give you this definition from a book over on our resource table, The Wall. A disciple of Jesus is one who has heard the call of Jesus has responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and following Jesus. So a disciple is a learner, and a disciple is a follower. And this is what we're to be about as a church. Many of you have seen our, our Redemption Hill Church strategy. 
When, when we have elder retreats and staff retreats, we come back to a document that has a big arrow on it. And on the left side of the arrow, you have unbelievers in greater Boston. And on the right side of the arrow, world-impacting disciples. This is our plan for all of you. Everybody is to ask, how can we reach people in greater Boston with the gospel and see them shake the nations? Look, we're not just talking about our community group leaders. We're not just talking about those who serve on Sunday. Every single person, how can we equip you to impact the nations for the glory of God? And so paired with this, we also have a personal discipleship strategy. Many of our leaders, maybe they've walked you, and it's, it's four simple points. And the first one is this. Know what it means to be a disciple. So if you're here today, hey, do you know what it means to be a disciple? Have you responded? The second one is this. Prioritize the rhythms of grace. So read the word, pray, community, stewardship. Now here's my concern, guys. My concern is that we never make, make it past number two. Look, too often in the church, we're just fooling around with, man, I'm still trying to figure out how to read the word and how to pray and community and stewardship. Look, that, those are the means, but the, the bigger picture what God wants for your life is go make disciples. Every single one of you. I'm not just talking about the pastors here. Every single person. How are you making disciples who make disciples in greater Boston? And then number four, making disciples who make disciples among the nations. When you get this, you realize, hey, Redemption Hill Church, we exist for that. The principal at the Brooks School asked me one day, caught me off guard. He said, John, just, man, what do you do? What's your job description? So I'm fumbled around. I'm the pastor of missions and discipleship. Maybe I could pose the question to you, hey, you're a Christian. What do you do? I've thought about that a lot, and, and I wish I would have answered it better. If, if he were to ask me again today, do you know what I'd tell him? I make disciples who make disciples among all the nations. That's simple. We, we all have job descriptions, whatever. This is what we're about. If Redemption Hill Church is not about making disciples who make disciples among all the nations, well, then we should stop doing it. That is what we're going to focus on. That is why we exist. And that is why you exist as a disciple, to make disciples who make disciples among the nations. So I'll close with my last point because you're probably overwhelmed, and I want to encourage you with this. The last point is this. Depend on the presence of Christ. Jesus has not sent us on this mission alone. He says this, I am with you always to the end of the age. The very Jesus who was called Emmanuel in Matthew 1, God with us, who was the same Jesus who's commissioning his disciples and saying, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So as I wrap up, let me just pose this question. Have we created a church that doesn't need the Spirit of God? Have we created a mission that doesn't need Jesus to come and empower? Look, this is daunting. Make disciples of the nations. We're in Boston, one of the most un hard and unreached places in all the U.S. It is a daunting task, but the mission of God is he's with us. He is present. So when you're praying for your neighbor, Jesus is present and working and sovereign. And when you're saying, you know what? I'm going to trust God with my finances and my time, and I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. Jesus is present. What, what if Redemption Hill Church was described as a people desperate? for the presence and spirit of God. So how are we going to finish the mission? I want to give you two, two last things. First, start by making disciples of a few in greater Boston. Every single person. Start by making disciples of a few in greater Boston. You may say, how, how do I do this? I'll give you a practical step. Look around here today and find somebody and, and, and say, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's grab lunch. And get to know them. Hey, ask them their story. And then get up a second time and say, you know what, I'd love to read the Bible with you. You know what, hey, let's grab a, a book on our resource table. Maybe, hey, let's, next Sunday, let's go to the resource table and we're going to pick a book that jumps out and let's read it together. And let's ask some of these tough questions. Make a disciple. Second thing I want to challenge you with is give one week of your year to mission efforts among the nations. One week. Well, you pray about, hey, I'm going to give one week because of this. I'm going to give one week to the mission of God among the nations. We're going to take a trip to Toronto the first week of August. 
You can take your respond card today and say, you know what, I'm interested in Toronto. We're going to take a trip to India in the first few weeks of November. Hey, I'm interested about this trip to India. Keep me up today. And you know what this is going to require? When you start reorientating your life around the mission of God, yeah, it means you're going to have to make some hard decisions about vacation time. But again, I'll come back to this question. Who's the authority in your life? You're going to have to make some hard decisions about how you spend your money. Because this isn't cheap. What if Redemption Hill Church began to seriously pursue this vision of raising up a multitude of multiplying disciples who were shaking the nations for the glory of God? You also might need to get a passport. I would say here's a practical step every single one of you can do today. Go and apply for a passport. You should be ready to go any minute. Don't wait on a trip to go. Go get your passport ready. That's a practical statement. You know what? I'm going to prepare my heart to go to the nations. I'm going to have a passport. And it's going to, maybe you need to get it up today. You've got one. You've let it expire. Get it up today. I'm going to call today as Mike and the team comes up to a fresh submission to the authority of Christ, to obedience to the command of Christ, and dependence on the spirit of Christ. And we're just going to ask and invite God to lead us and use us to shake the nations. God, we pray today. God, we confess that too often, We have rejected your authority. God, we pray you would crush the idols in our life that have replaced the rightful place you should have on the throne of our hearts. God, I pray even desires today to make disciples. God, that you would give strength by your presence to these efforts that even today, maybe some relationships are initiated. And your word has began to be read. And that people are growing and learning what it means to obey you. But God, God, I pray not, not just disciples are made here in greater Boston. God, we want to see the nations worship. And so God, I pray you would even lead people today. to say, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a week of my vacation time. My family, we're going to go as a family and see the mission of God fulfilled among the nations. I'm, I'm going to set aside some, this bonus or this money or this gift. Because God, you're supreme and your mission is supreme. God, we ask for your blessing and your presence and your guidance. For your glory and namesake among the nations, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.